Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So I need to warn um, our Happy Hour listeners of something kind of weird, and that is that Liz is not speaking to me. <laughs> it's going to make for sort of a weird, awkward podcast. I just Is someone talking? I can't hear anything. Is I just talking? let everyone know Liz is in full temper tantrum pouting mode, threatening our friendship. And um, this could be our last happy hour, if unless I watch the finale of Succession. Apparently, that's <laughs> what our friendship hinges on. Are you it's okay? important, Julie. It tells me where your priorities lie. And it's <laughs> been four days, five days. So no four days. But it seems like four years. So, I've watched it like four times already. <laughs> Well, what does that say about you, Liz? I know. I know that that probably says <laughs> probably something I shouldn't have shared with everybody. Um, so Succession is such an awesome show. This is the last season, and Liz and I are devout fans, as is my husband. So it's sort of been our ritual. But the finale this week happened on Memorial Day evening. We had a bunch of friends over for dinner, so I missed that. We tried to watch it Monday night, Memorial Day. No, it was Okay, Sunday was the finale. Monday, we tried to find it on On Demand. It wasn't on our usual cable On Demand. And now, of course, you have to go through an app and sing everything, TV, blah, blah, blah. Then Tuesday, Wednesday night, we were out. I'm not going to watch it without my husband. It's kind of our thing. We don't really watch a lot of shows except for this. And basically every morning since I've awakened to a 5 (laughs) a.m., text from Liz <clears throat> haranguing me if I've watched it and today was just another disappointment in fact I had to tell her first to sort of she did she she said no I didn't and I was like I'm like Julie so I am no. so disappointed I'm so disappointed um did you do you, do are any of our listeners watch succession or are we I know everyone hates HBO I get it I get it yeah. but succession is one of the I would say one of the greatest series that has ever been on TV. I mean, I have a list of, of I'm very picky and I would put it up there with like Sopranos, you know, at that level yeah. yes. of Breaking Bad, just, just outstanding. So you should watch it um, if you aren't. And it, maybe amazing. by next week, Julie, who just described herself a minute ago as quote, a fan, she will get around <laughs> to watching the finale. I promise. Otherwise, happy hour listeners, this is it. <laughs> She's going to replace me next week with with who? With uh, Kendall with, Roy. Maybe Kendall Shiv. Roy. <laughs> Shiv. Or she needs Roman. She needs something now that the show's over. Uh, oh, anyway. Great. All right. So, uh, uh, you know, obviously, as every week, crazy, crazy week. Uh, so we'll just quickly go through a couple of cute things from our 80s nostalgia on this date. Today, what's today? June 1st, 1983, 40 years ago, Nintendo released the original Mario Brothers game. Did you ever play that? You know, I played a little bit. I was more into Atari games like Pong and Outlaw. I don't know if you even know that. That's just like two stick figures like in that crude low-res graphic blocks like with cowboy hats (laughs) shooting guns at each other. On each one on each side of a cactus. So I was into that game Outlaw. I true story. I don't know if I should even share this. I will. I when I was in grad school, I dated a guy. He was at Harvard Law School. Only because 
he had an entire collection of Atari games from the 70s. And that was like the reason. That was the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He was a horrible liberal and obviously didn't last long, but I did get to play Outlaw and Pong. So, you know, there you go. I mean, go ahead. Now go, go. Let's go back to your nostalgia. I, I didn't. Did you play? I played a little Donkey Kong, I guess. Is that Mario Brothers? I think it is. Yes. I I think it was. I liked, I did like Mario Brothers. I think that was it. You know, we had in television back in the yeah. day. That was super fun. Do you remember um, Coleco? Coleco was another yes. one. Yes. The That's what was days. fun about watching Air. I don't think we even talked about the Michael Jordan movie on our podcast. That Great movie. People should watch that. It's what an amazing story. But the 80s nostalgia from 1984 and the handheld video games, which were so just pathetic. Yeah. Now, but I mean, it was fun. So they did a great job, too. If you like if you like us, love the 80s, they just did. Some shows don't do a good job of really creating that 80s aesthetic. They do a great job of it. So and it's a in it. Julie's right. It's a great story. So go watch it. Yeah, so it's air. It's the story of how Nike landed Michael Jordan um, beating out Adidas and Converse to make history, really. Uh, it's great. Great acting. But yes, just the nostalgia, the music, the whole thing is great. So I think that's enough 80s nostalgia for for now. That's good. So where should we start, Liz? All right, let's do a quick discussion of the debt bill and then we can move on to more important matters um you go so, ahead, i've not followed yeah, it i know you know it i will just give you a quick summary so kevin mccarthy made a deal and they passed the garbage debt bill um the debt limit bill um yesterday in the house and if you aren't following this and you don't know how bad it is I'm going to tell you that more Democrats voted yes than Republicans. So Kevin McCarthy passed a Republican bill in a Republican controlled house with a majority of Democrats. So there you go. Um, Now they're dealing with some garbage over in the Senate. There was a, a lot of fighting about it. Why would Kevin McCarthy now? Kevin McCarthy has hand here. He's, you know, if you don't know that saying in, from Seinfeld, right? He's got the upper hand. He has hand, but he he had no reason to give us this garbage, but he did. So, um, so what? So the criticism is that he he really had the upper hand, and he no, he why, did. So why did he give it up? What? I mean, I've only been following a little bit. It looks like. They caved on IRS agent, uh, IRS agents. It looks like they caved yes. on a number of things. Okay. Yes. Yes. And why did he do it? Well, there's a couple possibilities because we'll never really know. The first one is that Kevin McCarthy is evil. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that. Um, but I do think the question of what can go through the Senate is an issue. Um, maybe that was something, you know, that was a concern. I mean, the Republicans don't control the Senate, but I mean, even when the Republicans control the Senate, <laughs> the Republicans don't really con- control the Senate. So it's just 
not good all around. It's not good optics for McCarthy because I have to say up until this point, McCarthy has done a much better job than anyone thought he was um, going to do. And he has really unified the Republican caucus. And so there's been a lot of success. Why this happened, again, I just don't know. There's a lot of backdoor horse trading that goes on for these things that we just aren't privy to. So it's done. There was a huge, there are Twitter fights with people, with elected officials going back and forth. Um, And Chip Roy, of course, leading the charge against people who didn't like this bill. Um, So it, you know, it is what it is. Now, if I understand it correctly, there is one good thing in there, and that it forces the return to regular order for appropriations in the future later this year. And okay, that and means, you talk about this a lot, and I think that's so key. So yeah, it's so important that the Congress, the House of Representatives, who is, you know, we have a checks and balances system. In this country, every branch is checked by another branch outside of it. The Congress is checked by the judiciary, the legislative branch, the Senate approves the judiciary. The president is also held in check by certain powers in the legislature and and also and and so on. So there's everybody kind of has a check. So the check that the main and most powerful check of any of them, I think, is that the House of Representatives is the entity that spends money. No other branch of government can designate money or just spend money. It has to get approval from the House of Representatives and then the Senate. So it all starts in the House. Now, the House has given up that power when we have these omnibus bills that are like 20 million pages. Nobody's read the whole thing. It's one big budget. We're always in a crisis and we're told, oh, the soldiers aren't going to eat and cancer patients aren't going to get treatment unless we pass this bill that's 10 million pages and we don't know what's in it. And and that has taken away the power that the House of Representatives has to check the executive branch. And that is so important because now, uh, if I understand now there will be 12 specific appropriation bills for each category instead of one giant bill, which just gives a block sum of money with no itemization. And so what this means now is that, and I know we're going to talk about this in the show more, but when Christopher Ray tells James, Representative James Comer, who is the chair of the Oversight Committee, fuck you, I'm not going to give you the documents that the FBI has about Joe Biden taking a bribe. There isn't really anything James Comer can do. They they can threaten to hold him in contempt and then what, send him to the corrupt DOJ? I mean, come on. So it's very important. And a lot of us know that the government is spending our money on garbage stuff. We keep hearing about different agencies and their weird, kinky DEI requirements. You know, the Congress could just wipe that out and be like, we're zeroing out. There's no money for, you know, your weird pronoun training and um, your seminars that you're holding. And we're not going to give you any money if you force people who are contractors in the government to 
swear an oath of loyalty to the social justice manifesto. So I'm hoping that my understanding is correct and that this will come to pass and that the Republicans will now start to basically just slash the budgets of these rogue agencies that for years, because we haven't been in regular order since before John Boehner, um, they are going to be accountable and they're going to not have travel budgets or private jets and everything else. So that's the one good thing. And I mean, it cuts some stuff, but the bill, but I mean, we're like a trillion zillion dollars in debt now and they're spending like drunken sailors. I do think, I think the Senate may have voted. They, they put a stop to the student loan forgiveness plan of Biden, which was just pure campaign uh, p- pandering because as I just said, the executive branch can't spend money. And so right. to say that they're going to forgive student loans, that's like billions and billions of dollars. So Congress could do that. That's a job for Congress, but not for the executive branch. But anyway, that was all just a campaign pandering that came out like right before the 2022, 20, was it 2022 campaign? I, it's all blurred to me. So anyway, that's what's going on with the debt ceiling. Very disappointed, not surprised. Well, I mean, really, even if Republic and so I think that that is a good upside, Liz, because they do have to prepare themselves. So Congress passed before Republicans took over the House, the House and Senate, thanks to Republicans, passed the one point seven gazillion trillion dollar omnibus package. So now um, they'll have to they have a chance to do things differently and cut these agencies that really need drastic, not just drastic reductions in their budget, but probably eliminate it altogether. So I hope that that's one little glimmer of hope in this. But look, these things are always a disaster. The Republicans almost always lose, even with you know, even with a Republican president, Republican. We still still can't figure it out. So maybe that's they're not serious like as as logan roy said to his children earlier in the season you are not serious people <laughs> you know i mean i love you you are not serious people that's right that's right um so speaking of agencies that should be um drastically defunded if not shut down altogether there's a big showdown between um, House Repo- well House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman, is he the chairman or is that back to Lindsey Graham? No, I think he is the chairman, Chuck Grassley, who also really oversees the whistleblower accounts in the Senate. So they have confronted FBI Director Chris Wray to the extent that they can, um, threatening him with contempt of Congress for re- refusing to produce a document that outlines a overseas foreign agent um, bribery scheme between then Vice President Joe Biden. Apparently, this document exists. The FBI would refuse, excuse me, refused to even admit its existence and now has, but is saying it won't turn over the document to Congress because, Liz, of course, it would jeopardize sources and methods. So this has been going on this week. Yeah, I mean, that they say that all the time. We heard that all the time. Um, 
during the Russia collusion hoax. Now, if you go back, take a walk down memory lane, do you remember when the Democrats released their first like memo on the Russia collusion hoax? And then Devin Nunes, Republicans released their or their response to that. And the Democrats flipped out and the intel agency um, tools started to freak out and go, oh, he's going to jeopardize sources and methods. That, that Well, that's actually what they said before he released it. And they were in a panic. And this is the most dangerous thing that's ever happened in America. And then he released the he released his memo. And of course, it turned out his memo was 100 percent right. And the Democrats were 100 percent wrong. But there was also literally nothing in it. Like there was nothing in it. So when when they say that there was nothing protected, there was nothing that right. had to be protected. Well, we know who they were protecting, Christopher Steele and Dan Chenko right. and their whole scam. Sure. But even in that memo, I don't even I think at that point it wasn't even something people either. It wasn't in there or it wasn't something people knew. But at the end of the day, there was absolutely nothing in there that was sensitive or jeopardize anyone's safety at all. Now, I think now a couple things like first we can go further back to the Hillary Clinton server when she decided she wasn't going to use the government security system to communicate with people. She had a server in her basement that mm-hmm. she set up. She that was completely unsecured. And she was legitimately getting information about the locations of our undercover assets in hostile nations, which is pretty much the most classified thing you can ever have. Like literally their locations of our of our our spies in hostile nations and where they are. And they didn't give a shit about that. So anyway, whenever we hear that sources and methods are in jeopardy and we can't release anything, you know, I mean, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Really? I mean, I don't want to jeopardize source and methods, but you also don't have a history of being forthcoming and you use that as an excuse to conceal your machinations and your evil doing. (laughs) So you're evil, Dr. Evil. Evil. So Comer, um, James Comer and, and Charles Grassley had a conversation with Christopher Ray on Wednesday after that call, which I said on Twitter, we should be able to listen to. Let's make it a speak. Let's put it on speakerphone. Comer came out with this statement. Uh, Today, FBI Director Chris Ray confirmed the existence of the FD 1023, which is a document um, that is recorded from confidential human sources. This form alleging then Vice President Biden engaged in a criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national. However, Director Ray did not commit to producing the document subpoenaed by the House Oversight Committee. While Director Ray, after a month of refusing to acknowledge the form existed, has offered to allow us to see the documents in person at FBI headquarters, we have been clear that anything short of producing these documents to the House Oversight Committee is not in compliance with the subpoena. The FBI fails to hand over this form as required. The House Oversight Committee will begin contempt of Congress proceedings. Now, Liz, explain what that means if they do vote on, they do go forward with contempt of Congress proceedings in this committee it goes to full congress they vote and then what nothing i mean (laughs) nothing no i mean let's all remember who else was held in contempt of congress and that's eric holder right and eric holder was held in contempt for lying about and concealing information about fast and furious under obama they held him in contempt it happened and then nothing happened Nothing happened. I mean, 
you're technically supposed to refer it to the DOJ, but I mean, like, come on, you know? Right. Come so on. in that case, so, right, you're, you're sending a contempt of Congress referral about the attorney general to the attorney general, right? Of course, he's not good. He didn't appoint a special counsel, which he probably should have, but they're not going to because it was the Obama regime and they got to do whatever they wanted. In this case, they will send a criminal referral to Merrick Garland, who will immediately put it in the circular file and it will go nowhere. Back to your point, so, I mean, though. Chris Ray, Chris Ray is either on a, in Vegas or on a jet to Vegas right now. Fact. He is on his way to Vegas or in Vegas. He may have already be there. I think he's already there because I think he like he had to like get out of his meeting yesterday that he had. It may have been with Comer. And he just like and he got on his his plane. That is, of course, part of the FBI budget. And he just went to Vegas and he's speaking at a conference, to be fair. But, um, you know, I'm sure he's having a good time, too. So I'm mean, that's how how worried he is about being held in contempt of Congress. It's not give a shit. He's not. Well, well let's recall is one of the greatest moments in um, <laughs> in Senate history is Chris Ray claiming that he had to cut short a Senate hearing oversight committee, uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on the oversight of the FBI. And Chris Ray cut the hearing short, said he had a plane to catch and Chuck Grassley said, well, don't you have your own plane, which is ridiculous. He doesn't have his own plane. He has a plane we pay for, taxpayers. And he was like, yeah, but it's business. I have to go. So they let the guy off the hook. He gets on his plane and goes to his vacation home in the Andirondacks. That's where yeah. he was going. Now, yeah. in any other situation, Republicans who hold the purse strings would immediately ground that plane. You <laughs> yeah. can only use it for official business. Going to your vacation lake house doesn't count. But did they do that? No. Do you I have to. This reminds me of I'm going to give props to Trump on this because this is one of the greatest moments of his presidency is when the Democrats were going to take a cojil somewhere. I think it was overseas. It may have been. Do you remember? And then Trump grounded the plane and they all had to get back on their bus because they couldn't <laughs> go where they were. They were going to go to the plane. Do you remember that? I I vaguely remember. But, yeah, that would be a good one. No, but that's how you play hardball. Right. I mean, you do. But I think, too, remember when he fired Jim Comey and he was in L.A. and then they showed the aerial yeah, exactly. of this huge jet that Comey had taken to L.A. probably to sign his book deal. And I can't remember if they let him take the plane back. No, I don't think they did. I don't think he did. Yeah. They were and, like, you don't oh, watch here anymore. You can't use the plane. <laughs> Speaking of Jim Comey, he, too, has resurfaced. Ugh. And wrote a fiction book, which he's really good at <laughs> fiction, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, making the rounds on MSNBC, talking about how solid the FBI is and how nothing really went wrong in the Russiagate investigation. Just a few clerical errors, you know, on a totally unlawful FISA application that he signed twice under oath, by the way, um, or sworn, uh, whatever you call it, you call it. Swear. He swore that it was true. It was not true. Perjury. So he's making around, right, making more money, I'm sure, as that happens with corrupt FBI officials or DOJ officials. So we'll see what happens with this showdown. Um, they don't really, my preference, Liz, would be to start impeachment proceedings against Christopher Ray. Marjorie Taylor Greene has already introduced that resolution. I don't know why it's sitting there. 
at least an impeachment hearing would expose Ray and the entire FBI for how corrupt they are, not just covering up the Hunter Biden and the Biden crime racket, um, but also how they're using their power to go after Trump and his family. And political adversaries. I mean, yes. it's it's not even just one thing. It's not just like, obviously, the Hunter Biden issue is not a new one. It's been hidden or shelved or put on the back burner for years to probably protect Joe Biden. You know, we know that the suspicious activity reports from the Treasury Department go back a ways as well. And on the one hand, you have that. And then on the other, you have this like overly aggressive, zealous, like maniacal prosecution of January 6th people, of parents going to school board meetings. They're trying to get in you know, infiltrate Catholic churches, um, things like that. It, it, it's just, it's just so uneven. It's not, it's not the way that the FBI and the law enforcement apparatus is supposed to work in the U S the justice is blind. The scales are even, but that's not, that's not what's going on. And it's, again, it's not just one thing. It's a million things that's, that are going on. And so, Well, and one thing that's going on, aside from the FBI, is the Department of Justice. Um, It was three years ago this week, Liz, because, and you recall, I'm sure, because you live outside of Washington, D.C., that BLM rioters almost burned down the nation's capital. That was their intent. Not only burned it down, they tried to invade the White House. That's not uh, an overstatement. They were riding right outside of the White House. It forced the um, lockdown of the White House. Donald Trump, his wife, and son Barron were taken to a safe location because these rioters were getting close. They were jumping barricades that had been set up, the fencing, um, trying to get inside the White House. This lasted not for four hours like January 6th. It lasted basically four months nonstop out Lafayette Square, which is a federal park protected by federal law enforcement agents, um, officers who were repeatedly assaulted for weeks on end by these rioters. That those events, those legitimate, that legitimate insurrection has been completely memory holes by this Department of Justice. While the DC US attorney, Matthew Graves, who is handling the January 6th prosecution. Now keep in mind, January 6th happened a mere seven months after the start of the BLM riots. And those those attacks continue through December of 2020. You will recall, Liz, the Stop the Steal rallies in November, December of 2020. Trump yeah. supporters and lawmakers were assaulted, attacked, confronted by these lunatics. They couldn't even walk the streets of Washington, D.C. safely. All of that has been forgotten Matthew Graves basically told Congress earlier this month that he was not investigating 2020, but his office and the FBI continues to arrest January Sixers every single week. They just arrested another quote unquote trespasser this week and charging them with criminal offenses, federal offenses, while everything that happened in 2020 in our nation's capital has been completely forgotten. Charges dropped. That is the most egregious example of the double standard of of justice by our own DOJ. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember there was an RNC event at the White House and somebody like hit Ron Rand Paul with a bike. Like it's on right. video, you know, like there's videos of really serious unprovoked attack on on people who were there for that event. Um I mean, it was terrifying. And I mean, if you can just assault a senator and that's okay. And his wife. And his yep. wife. They were walking. This was they were after leaving the White Trump. House. Yeah. So Trump basically accepted the nomination um, because the COVID rules, et cetera, et cetera. So he had accepted the nomination. It was late August of 2020. And as lawmakers, including U.S. senators, were leaving that event, they were surrounded and assaulted or attempted assault by these BLM Antifa types. Not only Rand Paul and his wife, but Representative Brian Mast, who lost both of his legs and a finger in Afghanistan. And these thugs are surrounding him where he has a cane. He bar- I, he's got prosthetics, obviously, can barely walk. And these thugs are almost knocking him down. None of those people have been arrested, certainly not detained in a D.C. gulag for years awaiting a trial. To the contrary, they've been completely excused, ignored. And the handful of charges that were uh, arrests that were made, those charges were all local charges. There is a small handful of the most violent ones who face federal charges. That is not the case with January 6th. Every single case is a federal case, which, of course, ramps up the the cost and the consequences. So um, it's that's why uh, I devoted a lot of my Twitter page this week. Greg Price also has some really good videos um, reminding Americans what was happening three years ago and these people completely off the hook. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, we continue to get a steady diet of videos of criminals around the country. Now, granted, these are this is state or city issues and not that's not really federal issues of people just going into stores, robbing, just taking whatever they want, walking out, no cops, no stop, no stopping these people just over and over again. We're seeing this. I mean, it's really part of a theme of just utter lawlessness and a double standard, which is, you know, we want to think that our country is founded on the principle of fairness. You know, I mean, that's what justice means, right? Like fair, everybody's treated fair. And you just have blatant criminal acts going on repeatedly to the point where a lot of retailers are leaving San Francisco, which has no laws. It's literally anarchy in San Francisco. Nordstrom's left, Whole Foods left, have have pulled out other stores in places like Portland that are have similar non-existent laws as um, San Francisco. And we just see these videos every weekend of this kind of stuff going on. And then on the other side, we're seeing, you know, these people that were trespassing in a place that they had no idea they were trespassing. There's no sign saying you can't come here and places that were not restricted the day before they'd never been restricted. And all of a sudden they were designated as secret restricted places, you know, and these people are, basically having their lives ruined and it's just not fair. It's not fair. So it's not fair. And even the ones who, so you have J sixers who are charged or plead guilty to assaulting police officers, nothing even close to what cops went through for months in Washington, DC. And this DOJ 
is asking for 14, 10, nine years in prison for someone who elect, who pleaded guilty to spraying a police officer with a little can of pepper spray. That's what they did in the case of Julian Cater, who is finally pleaded guilty to assaulting Brian Sicknick and two other police officers. <clears throat> pleaded guilty because he had been in solitary confinement for 18 months. So they tormented a plea deal out of him. DOJ came back. I think they wanted 10 years in prison for him. And the judge gave him 90 months in jail. No, I mean, nothing. You could not even find nine days in jail for someone who did something worse to a federal police officer in 2020. Um, and we saw so much violence in Portland directed at the police officers. And also, I'm, I think some of them were federal officers, too, because they were attacking a they federal were. courthouse. That's and right. they blinded these these police officers and agents with laser pointers. Some of them have permanent vision damage. They were throwing explosives at them. And the media basically just hid that from people that it was very difficult. Like there was just only certain outlets that were showing footage of this continuous nonstop assault on this federal courthouse in Portland. And so people could see what was what the attacks that were going that were being launched against these law enforcement and compare that to like the just repeated, repeated showing of footage of January 6th. And then you had a primetime special produced by like a, a Holly, a Broadway or Hollywood producer to have a primetime basically like, I don't know, drama of of the January 6th hearing that the Democrats completely controlled and, you know, it's it's people we live in two different worlds. You know, there's to, two totally different worlds. People have no idea how long those protests lasted in the summer of 2020 and how bad it was. <clears throat> so, yes. So just more. more <laughs> this is where we're headed. Banana Republic. The Biden regime uses all of its power and authority. Didn't the DOJ to just um, bring charges against the son of. Um, the governor of West Virginia, Justice. Yeah, that's for Cole. Like he, they, they, they had to do with some. <clears throat> I don't know the specifics, but they went after the coal industry, saying that they had violated some <clears throat> regulations or some guidances or something. Uh, I don't. I'm. I, I don't know the details, but I'm un inclined to think this is bullshit, just because. Yeah, I think it just came down um, yesterday. I think yeah. I just saw that. But, you know, you have to sort of marvel and be jealous at how Democrats get their political power and they waste no time using it. Right. And the Republicans never do that. You know, they they I think it really started with Obama or these agencies got hyper became hyper activists. Right. With Eric Holder was horrible at the DOJ <clears throat> and and all of the agencies got they got people in all of the agencies to do that. And then, you know, every president appoints about 5000 people um, that are political appointees because the government is made up of, <clears throat> excuse me, careerists. That is a career job that is constant. It doesn't change based on the administration. And then there's a certain number of political appointments that they change with every administration. And the president picks the people that go into those slots. Well, under Obama, 
a lot of the people that had political appointments, there was like a time frame for them to be able to like apply for or convert their role into a career role. And that's what they did. And so those people didn't leave. It wasn't like, okay, we got rid of all the political actors. Oh no, they it's called burrowing in. They burrowed in. So now they are permanent staff at at these at at these agencies. So it's like termites, you know, who <laughs> that's come a in good and way to put it. Start eating your the the frame of your house. I mean, even putting in five thousand political appointees, it's still very difficult to control this bureaucracy. It's so massive. And there's so much power in these agencies, especially because as we were talking about previously, there's literally no threat to them violating the law. There's no consequences because the Republicans have given up their power to do oversight and budget and, and, and have their budget cut and start firing people and eliminating jobs. Uh, I used air quotes there. So really under Obama, this political, the politicization of these agencies really, really ramped up and it stayed like that. So, you know, bad news. Liz, what's the latest? Um, so the, the war between um, Donald Trump, team Trump and team DeSantis is getting increasingly ugly. Ron DeSantis was in Iowa, is in Iowa this week. Um, I don't know where Donald Trump is, uh, but it's getting really nasty. What What do you think's gonna? I mean, it's early, obviously. What's What's your latest take on the DeSantis campaign and and Trump campaign? Well, um, I know DeSantis was in Iowa. He's campaigning. He's doing his you know speeches like about his policies, and they're you know what we know of him. We know kind of where he stands on a lot of issues. He's He's smart. You know, a lot of people look at the national polls and those are kind of important, but really they're propaganda. I And I'm not just saying this because Trump is winning and DeSantis is losing. I'm saying polls have always been used as propaganda. Really, if you're strategically looking at a campaign, you're looking at a handful of states and their primaries, right? Who is on the ground in these states working people, working the people that live there and also working the respected political authorities, you know, who is doing that? And, you know, I'm sure Trump has people on the ground. We know DeSantis does just because he's there and he's in the news and they're like, DeSantis is an Iowa and he's saying this and that. So there needs to be ground operations in these states, in the early primary states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, that are, you know, doing the retail politicking, setting up structures. And as we know, they're setting up a, a get out the vote operation based on whatever those states new laws are maybe they're not new but you know just for a general election you know getting those in case that it you know a candidate goes to a general election there needs to be a well-oiled get out the vote machine so i don't know where trump trump is um i think there was like a golf tournament the live tournament or is that over no no there's uh live tournaments going on throughout the summer. So maybe there is one this weekend. I'm not sure, but no, it's, it's the height of golf, golf season. So maybe, the, maybe he is at a tournament or hosting one. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's happening now. I know everybody's been waiting for this information I'm about to share. I know you've been on the edge of your seats. You've been 
hoping to get some information. So I'm pleased to announce that there are going to be two new people entering, throwing their hat in the ring for the GOP nomination. (laughs) And one of them is Chris Christie. Applause. Please clap. And the second one is Mike Pence. So Mike Pence is going to announce next week. Um, Chris Christie, I don't know. He was, I just read that. I'm not sure if he's going to do that today. And then just in case you weren't satisfied, there's a cherry on top. And that is that John Bolton has said he has not decided yet. So that could happen. Who? I know, right? The mustache dude. John who? Yeah, exactly. John Bolton. No, really? I didn't hear what you said. Oh, John Bolton, the mustache. <laughs> oh, God, I yeah. have so yep. we already have Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, some dude from the Dakotas, I think. Um, maybe Chris Sununu is going to throw his his hat in. Why, why not? Why not? Chris Christie, come on. Come on. Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Mike I Pence. mean, these people are polling at like sub 2%, <laughs> right? They're sub 2%. Literally, um, JF, uh, what what's his name? Kennedy. RFK Jr. is polling at like way more for the Democrat nomination against Biden than any of these clowns are. I don't know why they're running. I mean, I guess there's reasons why people do it. It's to elevate themselves, right? To elevate, get think they get can make money, coverage. maybe. Yeah. They, yeah. Right. They raise money, but also it's to like continue. I think for Pence, I mean, is he, he's not going to just slink away you know, into history, right? Like he has to stay relevant um, to be influential. And I think part of it is to like, again, kind of gain influence to get in the media. But, you know, all these people are like the same. They're, they're not, they're not America first people, right? I mean, no. that's the GOP is America first now. It it always has been. I mean, the Tea Party was basically America first before it became called America first. So, um you know, anyone who's going to push the establishment GOP crap like all the other people <laughs> that are running. I don't know. Vivek is weird. I don't I don't know too much about him. I mean, he's really good on media, which is refreshing. But, um, you know, unless you're running an America first campaign where we're not going to war, we're not spending billions of dollars to on war um, and we're not looking internally about how we can do a better job of making it easier for people to make their way in the U.S. and we're not throwing constant barriers in their way and they're not interested in securing the border, that person has zero chance of getting the GOP nomination. Both just completely not going to ever happen. So is the idea to just flood a debate stage with these washed up has-beens so they can all gang up on Trump to make DeSantis look better? I mean, I don't know. I think it's I don't think it's that. I think, you know, I want to, part of me thinks it helps Trump. Okay. Because I do think that the people that are, will vote for Christie and I'm kidding. No one's going to vote for Christie, but the other ones, I can't even, you know, all that, that group of people, I think those vote, those people who support them would be more inclined to vote for DeSantis than Trump. So I do think it's to split the vote. I mean, I want to think that, but they're too egotistical. I mean, you know, politicians, most of them 
are have personality disorders, right? They're not healthy psychological <laughs> people. They're, you have to be a certain kind of person to run for office. You have to at least have some degree of narcissism, if not a complete clinical diagnosis of, you know, uh, malignant narcissism. So, you know, I, I don't even, as, I don't ascribe it really to wanting to fuddle up the primary. I just think it's a bunch of people with a lot of egos that want to, that that see it as a way to keep themselves relevant, even if they're going to lose. And then they can horse trade out their two votes to some kind of position in a Republican administration with whoever the nominee is. You know, they're like, I'll get out, but I want to be, you know, secretary of defense or something like that. Or oh, vice yeah. president. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good point. Yes. That's that's what that's really I mean, I it's easy to say, oh, it's a plot to like ruin it for Trump, ruin it for DeSantis. But that's just giving them too much credit. You know what I mean? Like they're they're ego driven. They're ego driven and they're raising money. Oh, yeah. Tim Scott. We've got Tim Scott. Tim Scott's also in there, too. Um, So I, I just think it's a way to elevate yourself. You know, in D.C., it's one of the industries where you fail up. You know, people go up the ladder the worse and more incompetent they are. So, you know, they run for president, they make some deal, they make some deals, they get some exposure, they get national exposure. And really the question is who in their right mind is giving money to these people? I mean, you're an idiot, right? You are giving money to any of these people that have almost very little name ID and a sub 2% vote at this point. You know, why are you throwing your money? I just burn it or give it to me. You know, like, I'll give it to me. I'll go to better use. Give right? it to I Liz mean, so she can um, watch Succession and not have to work. Just At least watch. I'm a real fan. At least I'm not saying I'm a fan, but I'm not a fan. So if I can stay up until nine o'clock to watch a season finale, a series finale, you know, I mean, that. That's big I time. That's super late for Liz. That's very late for Liz. That's because like she's midnight up for normal people. 3 a.m. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so before we head off, we have to cut a little short um, today. We have some other good news, which is that Marjorie Taylor Greene announced Wednesday that um, I was one of three reporters who got early access to the January 6th footage. I was um, in D.C. last month. Um, looking through, it is a massive amount of footage. You cannot even wrap your brain around it. It's on uh, CCTV, so there's hundreds of cameras. It really stretches over a couple of days. Um, and it, once you get the hang of it, it's sort of, you can sort of get your wheels on as to what timeline you're looking at, where, what locations. But it's just an overwhelming volume of, of recordings. So um, Speaker McCarthy's office, thanks to Marjorie Taylor Greene, Speaker McCarthy's office reached out to me last month and gave me access. Um, I did look at some of the footage. I'm going to be getting uh, recordings, tapes of those to me of selected clips and selected segments of it. I plan to go back in a couple of weeks and do that. But hopefully, Liz, next week, John Solomon has first access. And I, I believe he is going to start releasing his first set of clips um, uh, Thursday and into Friday and into next week. So next week, if we're still speaking to each other, 
we'll be able to discuss. I think there's, I, I think people will be um, very interested in some of the unseen videos that uh, John Solomon is going to start releasing, and then I will shortly thereafter. That's right. So that's supposed to break tonight. We're taping this Thursday. When you hear this, it'll be, it'll that this will have come out yesterday. I sound like Kamala. <laughs> I'm going with like a time warp. It's yesterday, just time. today, time, tomorrow, time, right? Thursday. So yes. So this will have come out yesterday if you're watching it if you're listening to this on Friday which you will because that's when I'm going to release it so but that's exciting and so yes our girl Julie has been selected and I believe that Julie and John Solomon and Joe Heineman is that the right right uh um oh god oh my god just uh, he's an epoch times great guy yes he is epoch times Great journalist. Hanneman, Hanneman. They were the yeah. Hanneman. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Um, they were the three people that were given access um, and not the mainstream media. Boo-hoo. So right. Right. be sure to pay attention to tonight. And or I'm sorry, I guess that doesn't matter. And again, I'm going into Kamala. I hope you saw it yesterday on when John Solomon broke it. Um but so, Julie, are we going to be here next week? I hope so, Liz. I hope so. <laughs> it's on you. Look, if this podcast is over, it's on the head of Julie Kelly. So <laughs> you it's have actually on demand's fault. So I have gonna it. <laughs> seven days to get your shit together, to get the Max app set up on your on your system. And so, yes. you know, if you you should be ashamed that you aren't as committed to the series finale of succession so anyway hey if you listen if listeners let us know if you watch succession and yeah what you think. please do yes um don't spoil don't don't tweet spoilers to julie either because i will come for you you don't want i don't want to ruin her experience you know it's important that she has a pure yes, good point experience watching the series finale if that ever should come to pass so <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in have a lovely weekend with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>